Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 1180. Downtown mostly sunny and 49. I'm Todd Halliday, News Radio WAM 1180. Next news at 9 30. Breaking news when it happens anytime. Another hour with Bob Lonsberry starts now on News Radio WAM 1180. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Good morning, Americans, and hello, my friend. Like always, uh, it is a delight to be here uh, with you. There uh, has been uh, a little bit talk about pepper balls here of late. It arose maybe a week or two ago when the Police Accountability Board stepped back up. Uh, Will Cleveland, uh, beer expert to the stars, a spokesman for the PAB, uh, said that we've got some rules and restrictions we want to put on the Rochester Police Department at, at times of mass gatherings, protests, and civil disorder and disobedience. Um, one, I reject the entire premise. I think the PAB should, uh, you know, keep its thoughts to itself. Um, but one of the, th- but looking at their suggestions uh, could be useful if only uh, if we turn them around and look at why this tactic or that approach by uh, the police might be useful and beneficial uh, in the event of civil disorder or social disruption. And one of the things that the PAB has complained about, one of the things that Rachel Barnhart uh, and her uh, folks have complained about, is pepper balls. And so to uh, get a better sense of what they are, what role they might play, and why they might be a useful uh, tool for the police to have access to, I'm going to be joined by, from the Crime Dog podcast, uh, a retired uh, member of the Rochester Police Department, uh, David Simpson. Sir, uh, good morning and welcome to the broadcast. Morning, Bob. G- give us your thumbnail bio. Who are you and what have you done in life, please, sir? I'm uh, David Simpson. I retired in 2019 uh, from the Rochester Police Department. I spent uh, 22 years in law enforcement. Um, I worked in a C-section. I, worked, uh, I was on the SWAT team. I did some undercover work, and then I uh, retired out of the major crimes unit. Outstanding. And, and, and this, this Crime Dog podcast, what is that, please? Uh, myself, Johnny Fiorica, a retired detective with RPD, and Jason Blanchard, uh, an officer with RPD. Um, we we kind of started this podcast to try to give a common-sense voice to law enforcement um, and to the police, kind of a middle-of-the-road, see both sides, but give our expertise, if you will, uh, based on our training and experience and what we've done, and kind of a little bit be the voice of the cops, the voice of reason, if we can. That's spelled crime dog, D-A-W-G. Where where can people find that, please? Uh, We're on YouTube and Rumble. Um, So they can be found there. And we post, we have a Twitter uh, page and, uh, you know, the, the stuff can be found though on YouTube under that title. Outstanding. So, so what is a pepper ball, and and why might it be useful, or where when might it be used by police, sir? The pepper ball is it's a non-lethal um, system that uses uh, air or CO two to deliver a projectile, similar to a um, a paintball, um, almost identical. 
The only difference is on impact, it um, breaks open and exposes the individual to the pepper spray irritant that will get on their skin and their clothes. And the reason why law enforcement, you know, likes this product so much is that you can accurately target an individual instead of blanketing a group, let's say with a canister of, of, uh, of uh, spray there. You can use the pepper ball to target a specific individual that's in the back of the group, maybe a leader uh, in some of these gatherings. So it's, it's uh, a surgical tool, so to speak. There can be a, this is uh, David Simpson uh, from the Crime Dog Podcast, D-A-W-G, you can get it on YouTube. So, but like, in a group of individuals, they they may not all be doing bad things, but there can be Absolutely. individuals amongst them who are doing bad things, and police may need to reach out and dissuade those specific individuals. This lets that happen. Yeah, exactly. Like you have a protest, and let's say 80% of the protest is, Protesters are doing the right things and following the rules. They're not damaging product, uh, property. They're not violent in nature. Um, they're following some semblance of complete uh, police commands. But you do have individuals within that group that are inciting, that are not following those rules, that are damaging property. And this allows the police to surgically target those individuals while not blanketing the entire group with, let's say, a tear gas canister or some are using force going hands-on like they did you know, 20, 30 years ago where you get the belly clubs out and go in there and remove people by force. So this is a means of using a non-lethal, in my opinion, a less um, violent means to get individuals to disperse and leave the area. And, you know, it can be like, that again, the group of people largely doing what's right but you can have folks in there who are throwing the frozen uh, water bottles or whatever. There are also, in some of these demonstrations, there are organizers, they've got communications, and some of them are trying to prompt uh, protesters to to do bad things, to break things or to have physical contact with police. And some they can be, you know, out shouting commands or trying to incite people or stuff like that. Again, targeting them uh, keeps the whole thing from escalating into what could be a violent confrontation. Yeah, it keeps safe protesters safe. It removes the bad element surgically. That That's exactly what it does. And in the end, and again, David Simpson's a retired Rochester police officer with the Crime Dog podcast, at the end of the day, the use, uh, and this is a question, not an assertion, the use of pepper balls diminishes the impact on the, all of the protesters and diminishes the, uh, again, the, the, they don't all have to be exposed to a big mass of pepper spray. It, it, it ends up helping the demonstrators. 100%. Again, if you use, let's say, the, the, the tear gas canister and for your general public, that's just going to be a immediate dispersion of the gas in mass to a large group. That's a negative in two things. The wind can affect that. You know, you, it's windy. You can blow it right out of the area. The second thing is you're exposing every single person there, even the ones that are not doing anything, you know, egregious, to this exposure of the spray. Where when you use the pepper balls, again, I'm using the words, but you're able to surgically shoot those balls at an individual who is cross the line, so to speak. So it keeps people safe while removing the bad element. And removing the bad element because for the next 30 to 90 minutes, 
once they leave and get cleaned up, they're not going to be exposed to it anymore. They're going to be fine. And every cop has been exposed to this stuff. We've all felt it. He's David Simpson, retired from Rochester Police Department, uh, one of three gentlemen, I think it is, at the Crime Dog Podcast, D-A-W-G, how that's spelled. Um, okay, so if if the recommendation is that the city goes along, whatever else like that, if pepper balls are gone, what's the impact? What what, what tools are left to police? What do they do in, the, in a situation when they're faced with that individual bad actor? Well, I just want to touch on that a little bit, in that every time you take a non-lethal means away from the police that are trying to use other means other than going hands-on and violently, there's no other way to do it, removing someone that refuses to be removed or fighting with someone, you're, hand, you're handcuffing the cops. You're limiting them in their ability to be creative and how to get this situation um, ended or, or controlled. And so if you remove this, then you fall back on the tear gas for the entire group. If you remove that, then we re- we go back to the old days of guys got to go hands-on with the clubs and the shields and get in there and physically remove people. So every time you take these things away, it, it handcuffs the police. And it, it, it's not good for the general public. It, it really isn't because, you, again, you have people in these crowds that are 100% doing the right things. And it increases, I suspect, speaking to David Simpson, retired from the RPD, it, it increases, I suspect, the chance for um, the the whole situation to escalate. If there's a bad guy over there who threw the frozen water bottle or something and you have to forcefully move through the crowd of people who are obeying the rules to get to that person and to take them out, it might be natural for some members of that crowd to now say, hold it, the cops are attacking us, they're attacking our guy, we've got to uh, stand together, and all of a sudden you've got a situation where there's physical violence going on between uh, citizens and police officers. That's 100% correct. If you go into a group and you start having to physically go hands-on, there's going to be people within the group that were doing the right things that that instantly is going to change their minds and how they're going to act, right? Your friend's getting um, grabbed by the police and pulled out of there and wrestling with someone. That takes someone that's a yes person, a compliant person, a person that's doing the right thing, and now makes them an agitated person, a person that now is angry and trying to protect someone that they are friends with or in the group with. The net impact of taking away tools, to include pepper balls and other things, is to is to make things worse and more dangerous for both citizens and police officers. It's to take it in a bad direction, not a good direction. Well, every tool you take away from a cop that he's trying to not go, so let's say, hands-on with someone, whether it be a taser, whether it be pepper spray, whether it be the, the pepper balls, you're forcing us to go back to a time when the only way you could get a guy in cuffs that was resisting was to fight with him. And fighting doesn't look good on camera. And it's it's, so it's it, not what you want to do. Don't want that. It's not what you're about. It's not the the best way. It's yeah. It uh, and again, we, we it seems like we strip police officers. So all you've got are your fists and your guns. Now go out there and do the job. And we've got our phones, and we're going to wait to crucify you. you know what I'm saying doesn't look good. It doesn't look good, and I fall back on it. How do you want guys and girls to come on this job and do the job if we tell you you have to go out there and be Superman, but we're not going to give you any of the tools. You need to be Superman to do it. 
And that's the problem that I have and that, uh, you know, our podcast talks about is you're handcuffing the police. How do you get people to do this job when you're literally tying one hand behind their back and saying, go catch the bad guys, go get a civil unrest in order, but you only have these limited means to do it. That, that, that just doesn't make common sense. Nothing is foolproof. Nothing is a hundred percent. Any tool you use can have, you know, negative effects. You know, you could, the pepper balls, if not aimed in the right place, could hit someone in the eye. Sure. That stuff can happen. There's nothing that's perfect, but this is a tool that can be used by law enforcement to get these groups to disperse and it can be done in a surgical means and taking it away from them only hurts the police and the citizens that are there doing the right things. 100%. Can you hold on just a second, please, sir? Yes, sir. I appreciate it. David Simpson retired from the Rochester Police Department, former SWAT officer, major crimes investigator, uh, uh, catching the killers out there. Crime Dog Podcast, D-A-W-G. You want to track that down. Back in a moment uh, on News Radio. I am 1180. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. We're speaking with David Simpson, retired off the RPD. Uh, he and others uh, at the uh, podcast Crime Dog, D-A-W-G. It's sort of middle of the road. How do things look from the standpoint of the police? You can learn a lot from it. Find it on YouTube. Today, sir, uh, uh, last day, I think, to file for this big RPD test that they've got coming up. If you're talking to a young gentleman or lady who is thinking about possibly taking that test, um, what would you say? What advice would you give, please? That, that's honestly a, t- a tough question, Bob, because I, I'm – I left the job because of how, how, you know, I have young kids, but that's the main reason. But I also was a little disenfranchised with how the job has transformed and the difference it was from when I started till now. But it was a great job. It's It was my dream since I was a young kid. Um, I did it with the vigor and enthusiasm that, you know, I – I, I couldn't muster, you know, it was the, it, I was all in. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And the, and the guys and gals I worked with were tremendous. They're all good humans. And if you want to go into a, a, a profession and work with outstanding individuals, get exposed to a wide range of different uh, opportunities. Um, you know, I got to do, I got every T-shirt I wanted to get, you know, from SWAT to undercover to working in the federal task force. Um, to being a street cop, to being a homicide detective, um, you, you you can do all those different things. And I don't think any other job affords you that, that opportunity. It is a tough time to be a cop. Um, that's one of the reasons why we started the podcast. Um, you, you, you have to be perfect, unfortunately, and that's a tough, tough business to be in when you, you literally have to be perfect every day. But there's guys and girls that go out there every day and they do it. And so I would encourage anyone that, uh, wants to not sit behind a desk and wants to go out there and help people and try to catch bad guys and c- try to make the city of Rochester, the county of Monroe, or wherever it might be, a better place. Take that test, and there's a ton of opportunity out there for you. And I think I think eventually the climate will turn, and that's one of the reasons why we try to speak out a little bit, to try to get that public perception to turn. Is David Simpson. Real quick, got about 15 seconds about the podcast. Why should people listen, please, sir? 
Uh, they should listen because, like I said, we're middle of the road. If cops do the wrong thing, uh, we're going to talk about it and, and give our opinion on it. If they do the right thing, we're going to have their backs and we're going to back them up on it. And we're not here to bash anyone, but we're going to give you the perspective from real cops. And that's what you're going to get on a wide range of topics. That's David Simpson. Sir, thank you so much. Appreciate uh, the life you've lived and the information you've given us today. Thank you. David Simpson, it's Crime Dog Podcast, D-A-W-G, how you uh, uh, spell that. And uh, uh, again, you can go on the 6 o'clock news and they'll tell you how bad pepper balls are, but they'll not ask a single cop or anyone involved in law enforcement or crowd control how they might be useful. That's not reporting. That's brainwashing. We don't need any more of that. Going to stop, get news from Todd Halliday. Be back when he's done on News Radio Wham 1180. 1180. Welcome back, Troopers. Uh, welcome back. Uh, uh, last night, the uh, fire commissioners of Spencerport had a meeting, uh, said, hey, we want to hire a fire chief full-time, and we'd like to pay the fire chief $150,000 a year. And I think that across Spencerport, there might have been a, what the hell, kind of thing. Um, uh, $150,000, what? What the? Holy, what the? Well, here's the thing. God bless uh, Spencerport Fire Department. Uh, I have keen admiration for it. But uh, what happens is that used to be fire departments existed. They were, you know, funded by the town or something along those lines or the city. And that was good. And then uh, over the years, we've had an increased move to uh, fire districts with fire commissioners who are elected uh, people uh, who have the ability to impose tax on folks. But the deal is that nobody ever knows when fire commissioner elections are. Nobody really knows what the fire commissioners do. Nobody knows what a fire district is. And so nobody votes when it's time to pick fire commissioners. In a lot of towns, if I can be honest with you, it's the firefighters and their relatives who do the voting for fire commissioners. And that's useful in one way in that you have an electorate that's very pro, let's spend money on the fire department. And I say that's useful because most of the time, you know, you probably could stand to spend some money on the fire department. But sometimes in some towns or jurisdictions, it does get out of hand and the fire district can turn into a kingdom of its own and it's got all the swell bells and whistles um, and a very small number of people electing an even smaller number of people end up imposing a significant tax burden uh, on their neighbors. Nobody loves the fire service uh, more than me. Uh, all across this society, we value uh, the people on the big trucks. But um, sometimes small jurisdictions can have big eyes and um, there can be some upward pressure on expenses. And and it it, it 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 sometimes causes people a little bit of chafe. And you say, where the frig is all this money going? And you that's when you learned about there's a, a fire district with fire commissioners and, you know, 50 people voted last time. And, you know, uh, it, it's not the best of symptoms, systems rather. And it often uh, ends up producing surprises for people. And I think last night, uh, Spence report, as the commissioners are uh, there telling the community, uh, yes, we want $150,000 for the fire chief. 
um, uh, in a community where, you know, the overwhelming majority of people uh, make less than half of that, um, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. And it sort of gets uh, sometimes couched in the context of, well, you don't respect us or, you know, we do an important work. or And that is true. You know, we don't respect the fire service enough. They do do an important work. Um, but uh, sometimes, the you know, for example, fire chief, let's go through the uh, top to bottom a little bit of some of the uh, uh, fire chief pay for uh, our region. Henrietta. Fire chief gets paid $185,000 a year. Gates, $171,000 a year. Brighton, $168,000 a year. Rochester, $152,000 a year. Uh, Spencerport, if this goes through, $150,000 a year. Ridge Culver, $146,000 a year. Ridge Road, $145,000 a year. These are, are very large paychecks. And, you know, you've got to ask, uh, should the fire service pay that much? Right? Now, these are chiefs of department. There's a very important responsibility. Um, The state loads things up. Some of this does, you know, kind of make you ask a question. For example, um, should the fire chief in Henrietta, now Henrietta, has important responsibilities. They have a lot of uh, a very complex commercial structures there, as well as a good, solid, uh, diversified um, residential uh, uh, community there. But should the Henrietta fire chief get paid uh, $33,000 more a year than the Rochester fire chief? Uh, Gates, likewise, should that be $20,000 more than Rochester? Should Brighton be, you know, uh, $16,000 more than Rochester? Is uh, our Ridge Road and Ridge Culvert fire departments really about the same as Rochester, um, that their chiefs should be paid essentially the same as the Rochester chief? I know I'm a jerk for uh, saying these things, um, but, uh, and I know the work is important. And I know that you say, well, hold it, that one over there gets this much and this one over here gets this other much. But at some point, uh, someone's got to at least raise the question. And then uh, if these folks are worth this much money, then absolutely go forward, make the argument, all that stuff. And, and maybe we're happy with that. But an interesting phenomenon is that um, these uh, wages are all in communities where um, the median income or the even the average income <clears throat> for working people <clears throat> for those communities is far less. So um, $150,000 to be a chief might make sense in the fire service, but outside of the fire service where I guess maybe we're not aware of what people get paid, um, it sounds like a big ask. I think that it would be helpful if fire districts continued in their efforts to introduce themselves to the community. Because again, nobody knows what you you do, nobody knows who you are, and that's not their fault, right? It's not the community's fault that they don't come to your elections. It's not the community's fault 
that they don't know you exist, right? They're not idiots for that. I think that uh, this, again, the fire district, the water district, all these different taxing districts that can be created, sometimes they they get in they get in a little bit of trouble, uh, I think. And to be honest with you, in my mind, um, and I recognize that fire districts can you know cross town lines and stuff like that, and they serve a useful purpose. But I think that the best situation, I mean, it's not always possible, and sometimes not even desirable. But I think that more often than not, having one set of elected officials who are responsible for a big chunk of our taxes is a good idea, town boards and stuff like that. Anyway, I'll close my mouth. I'm not speaking against this. I'm not criticizing these people. But um, if if somebody lives in Spencerport and they find out, hey, do you see they're going to create a fire chief job that pays $150,000? If that Spencerport person goes, what in the hell did you just say? That doesn't mean that person's dumb. Um, it, it doesn't mean that they're cheap. It doesn't mean that they don't value the fire service or the men and women in it. Um, it may mean that the fire service has done a poor job of communicating itself uh, to the community it serves, right? And sometimes um, there is a little bit of separatism and, you know, that's it, when you're on a call uh, in, in many of these regional departments, you're the best people on earth. But sometimes when it's not on a call and it's the financial stuff and it's the, you know, do we get a new fire hall or not and what's going to be in it and all these things, at that stage, we're not as open and communicative and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way and it creates a situation where everybody shows up at your meeting and says, what the hell, $150,000? Take a break back in a moment, 222-1180, the number. Um, it is going to be a great day. This is News Radio Wham 1180. I'm 1180. Welcome back to a uh, correction. Uh, the, it's not the Brighton Fire Chief who gets $150,000. That's a volunteer uh, a position in Brighton. But there's something called the Executive Director, um, a, a friend of the uh, uh, commissioner's. Uh, that person gets paid one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars a year, which I think is a lot of money. I think. Uh, so, what about this deal? The accusation out of Buffalo that National Guardsmen have misused uh, these uh, illegal migrants. I think that it uh, comes down to um, two things: <clears throat> allegations of abuse and lawyer greed. Okay. Now, when I say lawyer greed, I'm not dismissing the allegations of abuse or their wickedness or the likelihood that they're true. Put that over in one pile. In the other pile, lawyer greed. What happened is that lawyers immediately went around to the migrants and um, uh, started looking for uh, reasons to sue. And in the Buffalo suit, and this is a lawsuit that's been brought, uh, it turns out the only thing that will fix this is giving these people and their lawyers millions of dollars. But um, the uh, lawsuit also talks about, well, the hotel wasn't very clean and there were stains on the mattresses and we didn't like the food. And, you know, you've been brought here and you're put up in some dump hotel and you don't like it. Imagine. Um, but the deal is that there are accusations that in two instances that I'm aware of, um, members of the New York Army National Guard um, in one situation 
um, the this sergeant supposedly made advances on a woman um, and then created a situation where he sort of rewarded uh, that woman and her children um, after some sort of contact between them. And subsequently, he took that woman and her children uh, to his uh, domicile, house, trailer, whatever, out in a rural area. And while they were there, he put pressure on her uh, for some sort of uh, intimate contact. Um, so that's one. And there's another allegation that at um, this hotel, one of the uh, uh, New York Army National Guardsmen um, made social advances on a female uh, at that uh, motel uh, there. I in the in the in either of these cases, I don't believe that the police have been uh, notified. Right? Um, I don't think that anyone has alleged a sexual assault or anything else like that. Um, and maybe they will, and I'm not saying that that didn't happen. I don't know. But this is a civil action. Uh, lawyers again came around recruiting clients and asking essentially what went on, what went on, what went on. These stories came forward. And these stories are in the uh, suit. Uh, uh, could the allegations be true? Of course. You know, um, of course. And, you know, this is not an excuse by any means. But, you, again, you're left with the question of why, again, do we have National Guardsmen um, at motels where you're putting the illegal migrants? Right? Why? Why are? Tell me again why uniformed military people are the right move there. It's a, a Governor Hochul thing that I've never uh, quite grasped. Um, while we're, uh, I don't know, we, were we talking about cops? If you saw the situation, out of Batavia at United Memorial Medical Center, there's a situation, um, uh, I think a week or so ago, wherein a kid out of bliss, Dylan Jordan kid, he's a young adult, but an adult, uh, uh, Dylan Jordan out of Bliss is at the emergency department at United uh, Memorial. And there is also um, a, uh, I believe, Batavia City officer there. And uh, the news report was they got in a fight. Well, you don't get in a fight with a cop. A fight is between um, uh, equal participants. Um, you, 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 if you are engaged in violence against a, a police officer, um, you are not fighting. You are breaking the law. At any rate... Uh, this Dylan Jordan seems to have assaulted the police officer and at a certain point got him in a headlock and uh, began choking him. Uh, the police officer was able to uh, get the upper hand in the situation. Ultimately, Dylan Jordan is uh, charged with attempted assault, at, uh, attempted strangulation, and uh, criminal obstruction of breathing. All of these on a police officer, and uh, uh, yet Dylan Jordan got an appearance ticket, Right. It's just like Times Square and the uh, illegal aliens attacking those two NYPD guys. You can violently assault a police officer. You can try to choke a police officer. And you get an appearance ticket. Right? Ne next time you see Jeremy Cooney at the uh, marijuana store, you might want to just ask him, does that make sense to you, Senator? We're going to stop, get some news from Todd Halliday. After that, beg for calls even louder on News Radio Wham 11. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.